My name is Pastor Josh DeCook. I have the opportunity, and I'm fortunate enough to be able to run our student ministries here at Meredith Drive Reformed Church. And this morning, I get to share with you in this weird Sunday known as post-Advent pre-New Year, where our attendance is amazing, and um, (laughs) it's a lot of fun. So, hey, I'm going to start out with a question for you this morning. I want to invite you all to think about back when you were a child, okay? Something that you were absolutely amazed by. Something that you saw, and it caught your attention in a way that you're like, I have to learn more about that. Something that you would have loved to be invited to learn more about. Everybody have one? Well, I cheated. I have two, and you're going to get to hear both of them this morning. My first is when I was a little, little boy, seeing a fire truck for the first time. Now, fire trucks are quite possibly the most amazing things in the world because when you're about this tall and you walk up and the wheels are about as big as you are, you're like, this is incredible. So it's red and it's got this like shiny steel diamond plated stuff on it and there's all these buttons on the side and you want to push every single button possible because you're a little kid, right? And then it's got the lights on top that spin and it's got the siren that scares everybody. I mean, what is there not to love about a fire truck? And it has a ladder on top of it and water supposedly comes out of this truck. Now, if any of you know my mother, you will understand why I was excited about water coming out of it, because my mother hates getting her hair wet. Hates it. So my thought was, I push a button, water comes out, get my mom wet, it's perfect, right? So I'm standing there looking at this fire truck, and I'm just amazed. And then I look over to my right, and there's a firefighter. I mean, come on. As if the fire truck wasn't enough, there's a firefighter. So I look over, and I see him, and he's in his boots and, you know, the, the, the pants and the suspenders, and then he's got his hat behind him and his coat and the air tank, and I'm like, oh, this is awesome. And I'm thinking, I want to talk to that guy. Now, I was a shy kid, so I, I, instead of running over to him, I just kind of started going like this. You know, just inching over a little bit, and I'd stop for a little bit and stand there and look at the fire truck, then look at him. Just look at him. He'd look at me, wouldn't say anything. I'm like, all right, let's keep going closer. So I go closer, and I'd look at him. And he'd just look at me. I'm like, he's not getting the hint. So I go close enough to him, and I'm literally close enough to about go through the guy's pockets, right? And he doesn't say a word. And I hear from behind me, my parents say, Josh, it's time to go. And I'm like this. I'm like, okay. So we go home. That's story number one. Story number two, my brother John is 11 years older than I am. And when he was a freshman in college, he went to a place called Bismarck State College. It was a junior college in Bismarck, North Dakota. And he played basketball there, and they went to the NJCAA National Tournament. It's kind of like the NCAA National Tournament, but it's for junior colleges, right? And this was in Saginaw, Michigan. And this was the first time I ever got to fly on a plane to go there, the first time I was ever in a pool where it was half inside, half outside, so you had to swim underneath the door and go outside, and it's all foggy. That's not the point of the story. Um, So we're in Saginaw, Michigan, and I have an opportunity to watch my brother play in this national tournament. So we're watching the game, and now keep in mind, we lived in Bismarck. So I didn't have a lot of time to spend with with the team, because after the game, John would just come home. So we didn't hang out after games to meet all the people. And the game gets over, and we go outside, and we're waiting outside the locker room doors that lead from, you know, the locker room outside to the bus that they're going to go get on. And we are standing outside because the families went outside to see him. And I'm standing there and I'm thinking, oh my gosh, I'm going to get to see all of the guys that I've been watching for a year now play basketball in person. So I'm so excited. I'm standing there and the door opens and they walk out and I'm like this. And I was like, that guy can dunk. That guy can dunk. That guy's horrible. That guy's okay. 
the next four guys in a row had to duck to get out of the door frame because otherwise they would literally hit their heads on it, right? Devin, nice to see you. Um, <laughs> all of this stuff, right? And then my brother walks out. And now keep in mind, I'm, I'm 11 years younger than he is, so I'm pretty young at this point, and I am just in awe of my brother because my brother had just played in the national tournament, so I was idolizing him a little bit, right? And I'm standing there just like, uh, just so excited to see these guys walking by. And, and the head coach, Buster Gillis, must have noticed this, and he says, hey, Josh. I'm like, yep. And he says, you want to get on the bus? And I looked at him like, yeah, yeah, I do. I literally, I couldn't move because I was going to pee my pants. I was so excited. So I stood there for a while. I'm like, yes, please. So I run and jump on the bus and I sit next to my brother and I got to experience what it was like to be a part of a college basketball team. I got to hear Buster talk about all of the stuff after a game that he would normally talk about. I got to hear about what they did well in the game what they needed to improve on in the game, how important it was to be a team, especially in something like a national tournament, because there are tremendous swings of momentum that take place during these games. And I was hooked. I was hooked on what it felt like to be a part of something greater than myself. Now, I tell you both of these stories because they're an interesting contrast in what it looks like to be interested in something. What it's like when you're excited about something. And there's a major difference between the two stories. Could you tell the difference? See, in one of them, I was invited to learn more. In one of them, I was invited to experience something. And in the other one, I wasn't. Now, quite obviously, I'm not a firefighter, right? I mean, I moonlight as a firefighter, but I'm not a firefighter. My interest quickly died in being a firefighter because I didn't learn anything about it. But the concept of being part of a team, the concept about being a part of something that's greater than yourself is something that's driven me all the way through this day. It drove me through high school sports, it drove me through college sports, and it's what honestly led me into ministry in a team environment. Because I love that feeling of being part of a team. Now the truth is that invitation can be one of the most powerful things in our world today. In student ministry, we have the unique opportunity to walk alongside students. However, we cannot really walk alongside them until they invite us into their lives. We can't walk alongside students until they invite us to speak into their lives. We can't truly have an impact until we are offered the invitation to really walk alongside them. And the most amazing part about that invitation is it's not only the students that are impacted, but our leaders are so incredibly impacted by the lives of the students they walk alongside. All because of an invitation and a trusting relationship. So as we find ourselves here on New Year's Eve weekend, it's a temptation to always try to figure out what's next year look like. And we pick this road because we do have an interesting road ahead of us. We have a campus over at Meredith Drive that has a basement that's torn apart. We have an opportunity to reach the neighborhood all around us. Our alternative Christmas giving did a fantastic job of reaching Hoover High School, Urbandale Middle School, and Horizon Elementary School. We have an opportunity to impact our communities, to make an impact on those around us in ways we might not have had in the past. So, what does this upcoming year have in store for us? And how do we take advantage of the opportunity God might be placing in front of us to impact the lives of those around us. So to work through this, we're going to jump into Scripture. So we're actually going to pick up right where we left off with our Advent readings. We're going to start in John chapter 1. We're going to look at verses 19 through 51 today. Now, we're not going to read it all in one shot, so 
Relax, okay? We're going to jump in and out a little bit of Scripture. It will be on the screen. Now, if you want to follow along in your bulletin, I invite you to keep a thumb on the page you're on because... Did I say bulletin? Bible? Clearly. Follow along in your Bible, so that way you can jump back and forth as we go through. So starting John chapter 1, verse 19. It says, Now this was John's testimony when the Jewish leaders in Jerusalem sent priests and Levites to ask who he was. He did not fail to confess, but he confessed freely, I am not the Messiah. They asked him, Then who are you? Are you Elijah? He said, I am not. Are you the prophet? He answered, No. Finally, they said, Who are you? Give us an answer to take back to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? And John replied in the words of Isaiah the prophet, I am the voice of one calling out in the wilderness, Make straight the way for the Lord. And now the Pharisees who had been sent questioned him, Why then do you baptize if you are not the Messiah, nor Elijah, nor the prophet? I baptize with water, John replied, but among you stands one you do not know. He is the one who comes after me, the straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. This all happened at Bethany on the other side of the Jordan where John was baptizing. So let's stop there for a second and recognize two key points, okay? John, first of all, knew exactly who he was, and he also knew exactly who he was not. John is someone that the Jewish leaders are very, very interested in. John is attracting a lot of attention. People are leaving Jerusalem and the surrounding areas of Judea and coming to find out what exactly is he up to. They might even be getting baptized while they're but while they are there, but they're very interested in what is taking place. And one such delegation that's come to see him are the priests and Levites that represent the Jewish temple and its interests. In other words, they've come to interrogate John. What exactly are you doing here, sir? By what authority are you doing this? And he confesses to them freely. I'm not the Messiah. I'm not Elijah. I'm not the prophet. So then the question becomes, who is John in this? John is a tool in God's hand pointing forward to another that is coming on the horizon. John is sent to bear witness to the word and point to the light. John quotes Isaiah when he says, I am the voice calling in the wilderness, make straight the way for the Lord. He does this to clarify his role in the mission of Jesus. He doesn't even elevate himself to a position of importance. In fact, he never even says his own name in this whole thing. He goes even further to say he's unworthy to even do the work of a slave and untie the sandals of the one who is coming. Now let's jump back into verse 29. It says, The next day, John saw Jesus coming towards him and said, Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is the one I meant when I said, a man who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. I myself did not know him, but the reason I came baptizing with water was that he might be revealed to Israel. And then John gave this testimony. I saw the Spirit come down from heaven as a dove and remain on him. I myself did not know him, but the one who sent me to baptize with water told me, The man on whom you see the Spirit come down and remain is the one who will baptize with the Holy Spirit. I have seen and I testify that this is God's chosen 
one. And the next day, John was there again with two of his disciples. And when he saw Jesus passing by, he said again, Look, the Lamb of God. And when the two disciples heard him say this, they followed Jesus. And turning around, Jesus saw them and asked, What do you want? They said, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? Come, he replied, and you will see. So they went and saw where he was staying, and they spent all day with him. It was about four in the afternoon. Now Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of the two who had heard what John had said and who had followed Jesus. The first thing Andrew did was to find his brother Simon and tell him, We have found the Messiah that is the Christ. And he brought him to Jesus. And Jesus looked at him and said, You are Simon, son of John. You will be called Cephas, which when translated is Peter. Okay, so let's stop again here and again look at what John is doing. The next day, John provides a testimony to exactly who Jesus is. Jesus is the Lamb of God, a gift provided by God to take away our sin. As the Lamb, he comes as a sacrificial animal whose death carries away sin, which is a very condition that is prohibited in the presence of God. John testifies to him seeing Jesus be baptized in the Jordan River and seeing the Spirit remain on him. Now, this is reaching back again to the Old Testament and the book of Isaiah that tells us the Spirit would not only transform Israel, but it would also rest upon the Messiah himself. Now, this isn't the first time the Spirit's made an an appearance. In the Old Testament, this was more prevalent, but the Spirit would descend upon people only for a period of time during their God-appointed work. The key difference with Jesus is that the Spirit descended and remained upon him. And the next day, Jesus continues, or I'm sorry, John continues in his role as witness by speaking to yet another audience where he points the way so that others may recognize Jesus. He speaks to his own followers, directing them to follow Jesus instead. Because again, he knows who he is and he knows who he is not. He knows his role in the mission of Jesus. And we see this in the actions of Andrew. Now, John has so firmly painted the picture of Jesus that as soon as Andrew sees Jesus, he knows this is the guy that John was talking about. And Andrew is all in. He is all in. The first thing he does is get his brother Simon, who Jesus names Cephas, which means rock. And when we translate Cephas, we get Peter. And he brings him to Jesus. Now, Jesus is smart. This should bear without saying, right? Jesus is kind of a clever dude. He he knows what he's talking about. And what he does here is he invites these people to come and follow him because it's four in the afternoon. It's not nine at night. It's not ten in the morning. It's four in the afternoon. He has a chance to share a meal with these men and truly disciple them, truly teach them from his own mouth who he is, why he has come. And now John has completed his personal witness, his role in the mission of Jesus. He has done exactly what God desired of him with these people. In humility, he deflected the glory and interest away from himself and has instead drawn the attention squarely to where it needs to be on Jesus. Describing both who he is and what he will do. John's humility in pointing everyone to Jesus means that anyone who has followed him And John did have followers. He was attracting a lot of people. So any of these people that John has attracted that are now following him understand this isn't the guy. Jesus is 
the guy. It's time. The one John has been pointing to is right here in front of you. Go with him. But the story isn't done. We jump back now in verse 43 to finish out the story. It says, The next day Jesus decided to leave for Galilee. Finding Philip, he said to him, Follow me. And Philip, like Andrew and Peter, was from the town of Bethsaida. And Philip found Nathanael and told him, We have found the one Moses wrote about in the law and about whom the prophets also wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nazareth? Can anything good come from there? Nathanael asked. Come and see, said Philip. And when Jesus saw Nathanael approaching, he said to him, He is truly an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. How do you know me? Nathanael asked. And Jesus answered, I saw you while you were still under the fig tree before Philip called you. Then Nathanael declared, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. And Jesus said, You believe because I told you I saw you under the fig tree. You will see greater things than that. He then added, Very truly I tell you, you will see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. And now finally, Jesus takes center stage in our story. He decides the next day to leave and go to Galilee, which is about 100 miles north. And much like Andrew, Philip meets Jesus and he is all in. He is all in and goes to tell his brother who he has found. Now, Nathaniel's response is interesting, isn't it? He's obviously a little bit curious because of what he's been told about this man, but he's not really ready to rush off and see him. Nazareth, he says. What good can come from Nazareth? You see, Nathaniel was from Cana. And Cana was bigger than Nazareth. And this statement of Nathaniel's gives us a little bit of insight into the rivalry of the region at that time. And I think the easiest way I can explain it is this. Uh, if I tell one of, any one of our students from Johnson that something good came from Urbandale, they're like, Urbandale? What good comes from Urbandale? It's, it's just a rivalry thing that they have, right? Now, Nazareth was not famous. It was a small mountain village that was a fraction of the size of Cana. But Philip's response to this is beautiful. Philip doesn't go into some big, long argument, right? Philip knows that Nathaniel's curious, so he says three words. Come and see. There's nothing else he needs to say. There's no better way to invite him than to simply say, Come and see. Come see for yourself who this is. And Jesus then describes Nathanael as an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. He is a good and honest man. He's the kind of man you'd want to be friends with but would be horrible at playing poker. He's the kind of guy you would want to play poker against to take all of his money, right? He is an honest man. And this catches Nathanael off guard because he's never met Jesus before. He's never had an interaction with Jesus before. So how exactly does Jesus know who he is? And then Jesus completely floors him and tells him, I saw you under the fig tree before Philip found you. <laughs> Can you imagine being Nathaniel in that moment, being like, right? What just happened? And now Nathaniel is all in. He fully expresses his devotion for Jesus and names every name he can think of to show him exactly how he feels about him. Rabbi, 
king of Israel, son of God. There is now no doubt in Nathanael's mind that Jesus is the Messiah. But Jesus isn't done yet. He tells Nathanael, you will see greater things than that. Very truly, I tell you, you will see the heavens open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. See, the really cool part about this is when he says, you will see, in the Greek language that this is written in, it's actually written in a plural form of you. So now it's not just to Nathaniel. Jesus is saying this to Nathaniel, to the disciples, and to everyone who reads it, which includes us. Jesus is saying, you have no idea what you are in store for once you follow me. You haven't seen anything yet. So what does that mean for us today then? How do we learn from this passage and apply it to ourselves today? Well, looking back at the stories I started with, invitation is important. Invitation is incredibly important. You see, not only do we have the opportunity to invite others to come and see what Jesus is doing in our lives and in the church, we have the opportunity to be the very hands and feet of Jesus. Because again, if we look at the story of John, John attracts people to himself simply by the things he's doing. People are attracted to this. They want to know who he is and what he stands for. And to be completely honest with you, we have the same invitation and opportunity. We have the opportunity to attract people simply by the way we live our lives. As followers of Jesus Christ, if that's who we claim to be, what makes us different? How do we live our lives in a way that is completely different than what culture is screaming at the top of its lungs for us to live? How do we not conform to the patterns of this world, but instead be transformed by the renewing of our mind? What is it about us that we desire as followers of Jesus to carry the light that Jesus brings and bring it into the dark places where it has not yet been shown? See, doing things like this will attract interest from people. It will make them wonder, what exactly is it about that person? And once they do that, once they start to ask questions, and you can feel that interest in them, we must take our cue from John and say, here's Jesus. This is who Jesus is. And then invite them to come and see for themselves. Invite them to come and see. You see, we are witnesses to testify concerning the light so that through him all might believe. We are not the light. We come as witnesses to the light. It is our story, our understanding of ourselves within the larger story of God through Jesus that we can tell others. We can testify about what Jesus has done in our lives just like the disciples did. We can share the stories of what God has done and invite others to experience it for themselves through a relationship with Jesus Christ. And then we are invited to be the very hands and feet of Jesus. Teresa of Avila says this, Christ has no body on earth but yours. No hands but yours, no feet but yours. You are the eyes through which to look out Christ's compassion on the world. You are the feet with which he is to go about doing good. You are the hands with which he is to bless men now. The way we extend this invitation to our students is this. 
Be like Jesus with skin on. Be like Jesus with skin on. Find your mission field. And quite honestly, your mission field is wherever you find yourselves most often during the day. We have students whose mission field is in show choir. We have students whose mission field is on the cross-country team. We have students whose mission field is on the basketball team. We have students whose mission field is in the band. We have students whose mission field is their debate team. Where is your mission field? Where is God calling you to be Jesus with skin on? How can we be an example of Jesus Christ in those places and show the love that God has shown us? Because again, we cannot be Jesus. We are not Jesus. We can never be Jesus, but we can carry ourselves in a way. We can act and love in a way that Jesus would desire us to do. You see, that's how you make an impact in the coming year. That's how you impact those around you. And I said at the beginning, we have an amazing opportunity in front of us, and I cannot wait to see where Suzanne is going to help us understand where it is we're being called into. Because, my friends, we, are, we too are heirs to the promise that Nathaniel was given. So invite others to come and see what Jesus is doing in your life. Invite others to come in and see what Jesus is doing in your church. And then be the hands and feet of Jesus in the mission field you are called. Then keep your eyes open this next year. Because again, just like the promise that Jesus gave to Nathaniel, you haven't seen anything yet. Let's pray. So Father, we come before you this morning, and (laughs) Father, I admit, there are times it is very challenging to be invitational. There are times it is challenging to want to tell people what Jesus has done in my life because I don't know often what to say, because I don't want to scare people off, because of whatever, whatever excuse I can come up with. But Father, I pray that you give us the strength and the courage. Give us eyes to see those people who are interested those people that naturally surround us, that we find in our mission fields, Father. And I pray that you give us eyes to see their interest and the courage to invite them to come and see. Because, Father, I cannot wait to see what it is you have in store for us in this upcoming year. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.